once a wedding has been photographed, the work has just begun. On this episode of Twip Weddings, we share our tips and strategies for the post-wedding workflow. From downloading and safely backing up our clients' images, to culling, editing, and delivering images to the client, you'll learn how each of us tackle the tasks that await us after the shooting portion of the job is done. All this and more on another episode of Twip Weddings. This episode of Twip Weddings is made possible in part by our newest sponsor, Animoto. Head over to animoto.com forward slash twipweddings and use the promo code TWIPWEDDINGS to get 15% off an Animoto Pro account. In today's connected and visual world, video is a necessity. All of the social media platforms now allow video. People are using this as a powerful way to stand out from static photos. Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg predicts that video will be the primary form of communication on Facebook within five years. With video, you can better engage with your customers, drive more traffic to your website, and boost your company image. Learning how and spending the time and money to create compelling videos is expensive and takes a long time. Enter Animoto. Animoto is a drag and drop video builder that gives you everything you need to produce professional videos in minutes. You just need a logo and some photos or video clips. Pro features include over a thousand commercially licensed songs for you to use courtesy of Triple Scoop Music. Animoto has partnered with respected photographers including Kelly Brown, Jerry Gionis, Tamara Lackey and more to provide you with exclusive professionally designed video styles. Have your own logo? Replace the Animoto branding with your own. Create unlimited HD videos and share your videos on your website, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and email. You can even download and burn your videos to DVD. There's also a Lightroom plugin. So Animoto is more than just a slideshow. Tell a story, create a mood, and market your photography business with video. No video editing experience is needed. Blend video clips and photos seamlessly into one video without any extra work. You can create your first video in 10 minutes, less than the time it takes to get your favorite caffeinated drink. Animoto also has a free trial, so it's risk-free to try. Try Animoto today for free and join the thousands of photographers who are already using Animoto to stand out from the crowd. Just head over to animoto.com slash tripweddings and use the promo code TWIPWEDDINGS to get 15% off an Animoto Pro account. All right, welcome back to another episode of To Whip Weddings. I am your host, Bruce Clark, and once again, I'm joined by my fabulous co-hosts, Mr. Brian Capricci and Mr. Robert Evans. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Hello, hello. Welcome back. We've got the band back together again. So nice to have everybody back on this week. So um, this week, we're our main topic this week is going to be all about our, our post-wedding workflows. So we're going to kind of continue the discussion that we had in the last couple episodes where we walked you through kind of a typical wedding day. And today, in today's show, we're going to talk about kind of what happens after, you know, after we pack up our bags and, and leave, the, uh, leave the venue. So we're going to get into that in a little bit. But before we kind of get into the show, I um, want to remind you just how you can first sort of participate in the show and uh, get in touch with us. So there's a couple of ways to interact with us. First of all, uh, you can go to the website at www.thisweekinphoto.com slash weddings. And there you'll find the show notes for each episode, which contain links to everything that we talk about on the show as well as our picks. Um, and you can also leave your comments and your feedback for us in the comments section. So it's a great place to tell us how we're doing, if you're finding the information we're providing is valuable, if there's information that you want us to talk about, um, certainly you know, feel free to let us know about that. Um, if you have a question or a suggestion for the show for a future episode, um, you can also email us, and our email address is twipwed at thisweekinphoto.com, and that'll come into us, and we'll respond to that. If you're more of a social media person and you like to use social media, just include the hashtag twipwed in your post, and we'll uh, we'll keep our eye out for those posts as well. And we're on Instagram. We need to up our game 
on Instagram. And we've, <laughs> yeah. I think we have two photos on there. <laughs> so I think we need to up our game on Instagram. But you can follow us uh, there, and we're at TwipWed. So a bunch of ways to get in touch with us uh, and interact with the show. So we want to definitely hear from you and get your feedback. All right, so with that being said, let's jump into the show. And as always, we're going to kick off the show with our picks of the week. And in this segment, we will choose a photography-related item that we think would be a benefit to wedding photographers. And our picks can be anything as long as they are somehow related to photography or the business of photography. So, Mr. Evans, I'm going to throw it over to you first, sir. What is your pick of the week? So, my pick of the week is a new app. Uh, out on the market. Of course, there's a new app out every day, but it's definitely yeah. photography related, and I think it's really interesting. Um, this app is called Snapshots, and it's, uh, I mean, could use be used for any event, but um, the guys who created this app, you know, are starting with wedding photographers in the wedding industry, and basically, um, as the professional photographer, uh, you can upload your images to this app. So, you know, it's a little bit like Instagram, but it does something different. And uh, you can, like, especially for you Sony shooters, all my Sony shooters who have Wi-Fi in your camera or anybody else who has Wi-Fi in your camera, you just upload, you know, Wi-Fi the uh, image from your camera, upload it, you know, via the app, as well as then uh, the guests can upload pictures that they're taking so it's kind of like a share now when I first heard about this I was like oh no but then when I really realized the concept of it they do a really good job at branding you as the professional photographer and then um, the guests you know images go up and it's just a way for you to reach uh, more people you know like to collaborate with the guests the uh, bride and groom can buy or people can buy images uh, through Bay Photo, but only your images, only the professional photographer's images. And um, it's really easy to spread it around. It's just through a text and you invite someone right to the event so it can spread like wildfire through your event while you're actually shooting. And it's just a really interesting concept. And they have another feature that will come soon um, where you can actually tag vendors in it and give them credit. And, you know, and the vendors could join too. They're going to open it up to, you know, anybody who actually wants to have an account. But it could be interesting, like in real time, you could be shooting your event, taking pictures of detail, tagging the florist. And if the florist had the application, you know, and they have like a board on their site similar to like a Pinterest board. It could be going live right to their site, like right as you're doing it. So there's some really great ideas that they have, um, which I've helped them with a little bit, um, <laughs> especially the vendor networking one, because I think that's really important for all of us. And um, I really, really like the concept that it's coming along. Um, you know, it's up to us as the photographer. Uh, you subscribe to it and then let your clients know about it. But I have this sneaky feeling it's going to be, you know, Instagram kind of the next level. But in the future, you know, or even now, it could be used for any event, sporting events, birthday parties, bar and bat mitzvahs, you name it. But uh, I think it's a real interesting concept. So, you know, download the app on the App Store at Apple or whatever device you use, uh, and it's Snapshots. Cool. So it's kind of like instant word of mouth marketing and referral as the event is kind of happening. Yeah, like on both sides of the aisle too. You're networking with the guests and more guests are going to see your stuff. And then the interesting, so you're, you're sending stuff up as you're shooting it, but then, you know, you go home and process your images and we're talking about processing and then you can go add more. Um, so everybody who's subscribed at the events going to see them as you add to them. So, you know, you pick 
I don't think it's to put every single image you want up there, but you know, yeah. you pick your best 50, your details that you're going to market to, you know, put your best foot forward and let, then the guests are going to get notifications like, hey, there's more images up, you know, a day or two later. And then maybe going into the event, you know, you already have it preloaded with some engagement shoots and, you know, images yeah. like that. That's cool because I've seen I've seen a lot of guests. A, a trend in weddings the last couple of years has been to have you know a hashtag on Instagram, and then they have a slide like a just a slide thing running at the wedding that has the feed of all you know of all that hashtag kind of running through, yeah. which can be good and it can also be dangerous, right? <laughs> as well, if somebody gets a hold of that hashtag and doesn't right. filter <laughs> what's going on the screen, <laughs> what kind of what kind of cost? like the new bride and groom? You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, what's the what's kind of cost? How do they? What's their pricing model? What's it? Uh, it's not that expensive. Or? I don't know it off the top of my head. Um, um, but once you, it's also online at snapshots.com. Uh, they just recently purchased that URL because somebody else owned that. Or Hey Snapshot. So it is both a web and an app. Uh, in conjunction and they work together with each other. So I'm really excited to see the the vendor rollouts um, and see what it, but it, it really wasn't that expensive. I just, I'm sorry, I don't remember it right off the top of my head and I don't want to make something up and, um, but you guys dig into it and cool. look for yeah, it. We'll, we'll put a link then in the, in and the it, you know, they launched it at WPPI and uh, WPPI used it as like the show app. So they kind of did the same concept where, uh, you know, everyone at WPPI who logged into it were sending their photos and it all is like in a big pool. So I think you can see that online too. Oh, cool. Excellent. Good pick. Brian, how about you? What's your pick this week? Cool, yeah. I'm just, uh, I actually just pulled up the website and it looks really cool. Just as a side note, um, definitely should check that out. Looks awesome. Um, so, okay, my pick of the week, since we're talking about workflow this week, is the, um, what's it called here? I've got the name in front of me. The Lexar Professional Workflow Thunderbolt 2 Hub. So for those of you watching the video, I've got this here, uh, right here in front of me. And basically it allows you to... I've got that uh, dog. Okay, so everyone's got the exact same one. So it's perfect <laughs> because, A, it's Thunderbolt, so it allows you to import images a lot quicker when you're offloading after a wedding or after a portrait session. But what I like most about it is that it has four open bays in it, and then you buy the individual little elements that take different kinds of cards and right. put it in the bay. So you can kind of customize it for how you shoot and what cameras you use and what cards they have. So for me, I shoot mostly Fuji and a little bit of Nikon, so I have more SD cards than I do CF cards. So I have three SD slots in here and one CF slot. But you could customize that and put two and two, or you could have other kinds of slots. And it's uh, it's just great because it allows you to import obviously four cards at a time if you want to, and it's Thunderbolt, so it's wicked fast. So it ends up saving you a ton of time in your workflow and in your importing. Um, so that's a, a great investment. It's it's a little bit pricey. The hub itself is $200, and I think the individual uh, little guys that go into the hub are like you know 30 or 40 bucks each or something. So by the time you fill it out, you're going to be running somewhere around $300, $350. But for the time it saves you and the convenience, it's definitely worth it in my opinion. So yeah. Oh, my gosh. I hate downloading cards. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that can be a bottleneck in, in people's workflow for sure. And you can also take the little um, modules and use them right. separately yeah. as well. So if you need, exactly. if you're traveling or you're on the road or something like that, you can actually uh, take the little module out, and it has its own separate, you know, yep. connector in the back, and you can just cable. use it standalone. Yeah, so you don't yeah. need to have the hub. You don't need to pack the big hub around with you. So yeah, it's a yeah. great, it's awesome. awesome. Pick. And cool. again, it's called the Lexar Professional Workflow. On B&H's website, it says uh, Lexar Professional Workflow HR2. So if you're looking for it, I'm sure we'll have the link to it in the show notes. But that's yeah. 
Oh, See, I have it too. I just didn't want people to think I was just making that awesome. up. <laughs> <laughs> Woohoo! So, so we get some sponsorship from Lexar. <laughs> awesome, good pick. Well, my my uh, my pick this week is actually has nothing to do with workflow. I I I thought ah, I'm going to switch it up. I'm going to pick something non-workflow related. So, and it's actually a website that I just recently discovered. And you know, we've talked a lot about you know free resources and great resources for your photography business. And I recently um, came across a website. Um, maybe Brian, maybe Robert, you guys have heard of it. It's, it's a site called ground-glass.com. Spencer Lum. Spencer Lum um, runs this site, and it's a fantastic site. I haven't had a chance to spend you know, a lot of time and dig into all the content that he has on there, but he has a, a newsletter that you can sign up for and he seems to send sort of regular, um, uh, regular newsletter out. Really, really great um, business advice, um, sort of just on sales and marketing and pricing and a little bit, a little bit of sprouting photographer-ish kind of uh, <laughs> inspired. But if you, you know, if you, if you, if you love that information, you love that stuff, um, Ground Glass seems like a really good um, resource for that as well. Of course, sprouting photographer would be my first choice, but <laughs> and then after, then I would visit. No, Ground it's Glass, you know so. just as a side note there, Bruce, not to hijack it, but Spencer is like an incredible writer. He's an amazing speaker. He's a good friend of mine, and uh, I can't recommend Ground Glass enough. Like his resource over there is incredible, and actually one of my favorite pieces that he's ever put out is actually a video that he made and if you go to youtube.com uh, anyone listening can go and do this it's probably the best way to spend about eight minutes of your time and you'll learn a ton about selling the video is called the question I use that lets me sell without selling so for any photographers that don't like selling this video that Spencer made it was made about a year ago um, but it's got a ton of views and it's an amazing piece of education for those that want to be able to sell more in their business but they're afraid of being salesy. So sorry to hijack Bruce but I no, definitely like I, I totally um, agree with everything. Uh, Spencer's education is incredible. Yeah, it's really good. Like I said, I just, I just um, discovered it a couple of weeks ago so I haven't had a chance to dig in so thanks mm -hmm. for that link. I'll, yeah. I'll check it out and we'll put a link to it in the, in the show notes as well so you awesome. can check it out. So, cool. More great resources for photographers. It's just, it's endless, right? There's no, there's no there's no end to the great resources that are out there online. So maybe we should see if we can get Spencer on the show at one. At one oh, point totally. He'd come on, no problem. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Good stuff. All right. So next, we're going to move into our listener question segment. And each week, we're going to choose a listener question to answer on the show. And this week, we have a question from Rhiannon. Um, Rhiannon would like to know, how do you tell clients nicely that you'd rather keep your communication via email so that you can keep it all orderly and in one place than through text message? I get so many of my clients who say, can we text instead? Um, and I'd honestly rather not without coming across as snobby or high maintenance. And this, I think, probably is a problem more people deal with. I know it can be an issue in terms of just you know, keeping stuff all coordinated. You've got text messages and you've got Facebook messages and you've got, you know, Twitter messages and you've got email messages and how do you keep it all clear? So kind of setting some ground rules and setting some boundaries with your clients in terms of how you prefer communication. Um, Robert, let's start with you. What would your suggestions be for Rhiannon? Yeah, that's always a dilemma. Um, I, first of all, I don't like to, my clients to necessarily have my personal uh, phone number so that they can text me. I do use a phone service um, that allows me to do that. So I have, it's called Ring Central, and it's basically a cloud-based uh, phone system. And I have a number that I actually put on my site, you know, on my contact page that says, you know, text me. 
Um, and every once in a while, people do that off the contact form. Um, but I don't, and I have one or two clients that do have my phone number and that do text me. I prefer it not be that way. So to answer her question, I kind of agree with her. Um, you know, we have to set boundaries in our business um, because it, it, the question is, do you want to run your business or do you want to let your business run you? Um, so I think um, maybe what I guess how I would deal with it when it happens is if the client texts me and I realized who it was, maybe I reply with an email saying, hey, Lisa, uh, I got your text, um, but you know, this, that's my personal phone number and I prefer to communicate business-wise over email um, or let's jump on the phone. Uh, I mean, you've heard me talk about this before on the show. I prefer to talk on the phone nine out of ten times. Um, you know, maybe I'm a little bit old school, but you get so much more done. I mean, again, nothing infuriates me more than when a client wants to, like, set up an appointment for an engagement shoot, let's say, and, like, are you available this date? You know, you email back, no, I can't do it. I have a wedding that weekend. How about, you know, it's like, can we just jump on the phone or even like having to actually set a phone appointment, you know, set an appointment to actually talk on the phone today drives me nuts. Cause we used to be able to just pick up the phone and call each other. Yeah. Um, but I would suggest to her, you know, just, you know, run her business, just politely tell the client like that, you know, this is my personal number, you know, you can, you know, maybe in emergencies, you know, reach out to me there. Um, but there are a lot of people who in today's world use their cell phones as their business phone, which makes sense, of course. Um, so if you do that, then I think you do open yourself up to allowing your clients to do that. So you might want to think about, you know, actually getting a business line, um, you know, that could forward to your phone number or, um, like I said, I use that company Ring Central, which is really great and it's fairly inexpensive. Um, and then I do have an office phone, but it also has a uh, app that goes on my computer and on my phone, and I can call people that way. And it's all you know, voice over IP, uh, so you're still using your cell phone without you know using your personal number. Yep. Brian, how about you? Anything to add to advice for Rhiannon? Yeah, I mean, I would echo the exact same idea that Robert had mentioned. Um, I don't believe that texting is a great professional form of communication. Um, I feel like it puts you in a very reactionary mode because text messaging is very much real time. And when you start to, you know, I, I say quote unquote train your clients that that's how you're able to be reached, that puts you in constant, you know, putting out fire mode. So you're going to not get as much done. You're going to be less productive. You'll be working around the clock because they'll be texting you whenever. So I think it's important to set those expectations with your clients that that's not the best way to get in touch with you. And whenever I think of anything like this, I always try and double back and say, like, what's in it for them? Like, what's the justification? Because I would never want to be like, well, it's my policy that I'm not available on the, uh, via text message. Like, that's not a great way to have a relationship with your clients. And so instead, if you can frame it in a way that's like, hey, listen, I get a ton of emails, a ton of messages, a ton of phone calls all the time, and the best way for me to stay on top of it for you so I don't miss anything is to keep it in an inbox in my email. So if you don't mind, could you just send me a quick email about this, and that way I don't forget it and I don't, I don't leave you behind on something. And so if you frame it in a way that is like a benefit to them where it's like, you're not saying it because you don't want them to bug you on your cell phone. You're saying it because you want to make sure you actually get back to them. So I think framing it that way um, makes it more benefit-based for the client. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, agreed. And it's nice also, I think, like I know the phone is definitely like an efficient way to do it, but I think in terms of having something to track 
an email is, yeah. is, is nice because you can have something that you can like refer back to. Sometimes it's tough with a phone call because you might, <laughs> they might call you or you might talk to them at a time where you're, you know, you forget to note it down. And then, so sometimes email, I, I think, although it's not the most efficient way, I think it's good in, in a yeah. sense that you have something to track, right? So anytime, um, anytime I get any piece of correspondence um, from a client, I, it always gets, I use Gmail and then everything gets, all the communications for that client gets labeled um, as soon as it comes in. Um, I just have smart labels and then they labels it automatically so I can keep track of all the correspondence that's happening. But yeah, you're right. You have to kind of train them kind of from the outset that that's how you yeah. do it. Obviously on the wedding day, that's a different story. Like right. you know, they're going to be texting on the wedding day because you're, you know, where are you? Are you ready? Like those kinds of things. So we don't mind it so much on the actual wedding day itself because that's the most. Well, and the interesting thing about that is that might be your out. That might be your an excuse. Like you could say, hey, listen, I'm going to give you my cell phone number so that we can talk on the wedding day. But if you don't mind, between now and the wedding day, let's keep our conversations either over the phone or via email. And that way I don't lose track of things for you. Yeah. But I'll give you my cell phone number and that way you can get a hold of me on the wedding day. So that might be a good way to bring that up in a conversation. Yeah, for sure. Right. Excellent. Good advice. Hopefully that helps Rhiannon with her texting dilemma. So, all right. So that's, uh, let's get into our, our main discussion this week. And so on, on the past couple episodes, um, we kind of walked you through how we approach a, a typical wedding day. So we kind of walked you through kind of from start to finish how, what a typical wedding day looks like for us, what gear we bring with us, kind of about the, and some tips and tricks around how we handle things like family formals and, and bridal portraits and things like that. So what we wanted to do this week was we wanted to kind of continue that discussion and sort of pick it up from, you know, after we pack up our bags and, you know, leave the reception for the day, kind of what does, what does our post-wedding workflow look like? And we're going to talk about a few different kind of situations and scenarios as well, um, because again, not every wedding is the same and not every uh, weekend is the same. So we're going to talk about a few different instances and, uh, and sort of how we handle um, different situations that come up. So I'm going to throw it out maybe to Brian to, to start. Um, so kind of once once the you know the band is playing and you're you've packed up your bags and you're and you're headed home after the reception, kind of what are the first steps you take? Kind of once once the wedding day is done, where where do you go next? So for me, and I know that um, I wasn't uh, I wasn't able to make the one where we recorded for the reception, so I, I'll back up to that because that's a big part of what I do in my post processing. Is I actually do always for every wedding a same day slideshow, so I have my laptop with me at the reception that I'm offloading images on and doing some selections for the same day slideshow during cocktail hour. So I actually like to get the images that I shoot between that time that I offload and then the time that I leave. I want to get those offloaded on my laptop right then and there at the reception. Basically meaning I want to leave the reception with everything already backed up and offloaded onto a computer. Um, that's important for me both for peace of mind um, and just to have the backup but also because I'll get my assistant to do that while I'm packing up my lights and getting everything all you know, back into my bag and everything. And that way when I come home from the reception or on the Monday that I want to get working on it, all the images are already offloaded. So I don't have to go and start going through that whole process again. So they're already on my laptop and I'll just transfer them over to my main machine here. So that's sort of where I start. And I'm, I'm fairly particular about keeping really um, structured systems in my business and, and everything that I do. I think that, uh, you know, we've talked about this quite a bit at length in the show already. But for me, if I'm shooting a wedding on Saturday, the Monday morning that follows is my time to work on that wedding and get it all finished up and get it out the door. I, I, I sort of have this goal here in my studio that um, the wedding is finished up, like every wedding is finished up before the next wedding 
uh, happens. And that way I'm never having this backlog of, you know, 15 weddings to edit and feeling overwhelmed or having to all of a sudden put out fires like that. So I, I start working on it first thing Monday morning. Excellent. Good Robert. work habit. Very good work habit. That's awesome. See, and I and I pictured you, Brian, that you'd have just like a scattered desktop of just folders <laughs> everywhere. No, no. For those watching the video right now, you can see that the office, you can see my office, and for me, this is messy. Yeah. <laughs> Robert, how about you? How what's your um, workflow look like? Kind of right, you know, once the reception is done, are you doing your offloading and your backing up before you leave the reception, or I I do not do that. But before I start, I have to commend Brian in that. I really like that whether, you know, he gets it done that Monday, which I think for a lot of photographers, their mouths are sitting, hanging open right now going, whoa. <laughs> but um, I hear in today's, you know, I hear that there's so many photographers that deliver in six to eight weeks. Yeah. Um, you know, like these outrageous times, like I challenge all of you to to deliver in two to three weeks at least. Um, you know, that's long enough for your clients to build some anticipation and, but, you know, this four to six to ten to, you know, stuff I hear, like, that's just outrageous in my mm -hmm. opinion. And everybody does a different amount of weddings, and, and I get it. But um, so my workflow, again, you know, I deliver in two to three weeks. I'll come home from an event, and as you know, I travel quite a bit, so I might be working on airplanes or whatever I'm doing. But um, my first thing, of course, is to download the media, uh, get that on there. Um, I use, um, to, to edit my job or to call my images, I use Photo Mechanic because it's quick, Stay with me. Um, brings in all the raw files. So I go through and I uh, edit in, meaning I tag what I like, not what I don't like. Um, this is interesting. It's you know it's it's not that new obviously but I used to do it the other way where I tagged everything red that I didn't want and then I was left with all the good ones and then somebody told me this and I was like hmm because mathematically it makes sense if you shoot three thousand images maybe between you and your your second shooter and you tag a thousand it's going to take you a shorter time to tag a thousand that you like than it is to two thousand that you don't like so that I do it that way. Um, I, then I transfer those into uh, a best raw folder, and then I import those into Lightroom. And then I will still uh, wean from there as I go through, because I might tag five images of the bride of the same shot that I like, but then I really make my, like, you know, because when I call a job, like, I'll go through 3,000 images in less than an hour or, you know, whatever. But, you know, I just, like, quick, you know, go with my gut instinct, like it, like it, like it, don't, you know, and just take everything that I like. But So those best raw folders, take those through Lightroom. I do um, send my stuff out sometimes, but I'm the one that's picked it. But, it, but we're talking about it now. If I'm doing it, and this is how I'm doing it, um, I'll take those through Lightroom. Now, in Lightroom, I don't do a lot to my images. Again, um, I started shooting film, so I kind of got in the habit early on to do it right the first time. Mm -hmm. I use Lightroom basically for minor color correction, cropping. Um, I don't use too many of the cloning or removing tools within Lightroom, and uh, I just and I do my black and white conversions. And so I go through my whole job. I'll cut out images. You know that same shot of the bride where I might have picked three or four. I'll keep the best one, maybe keep the other one, make it black and white. Um, but then I go through, um, once I have that all done, uh, I rename my raw files. You know, I put everything in sequence. 
of course, which is important if you're shooting with multiple cameras to make sure that your time sequences are all correct so that at the end your workflow is a lot easier. I time, you know, I put it all within time sequence, rearrange it if it's not quite, you know, because sometimes the details with other detail later, whatever, but I put it all in order, renumber it from one to, you know, I deliver around seven, eight hundred images on average, sometimes more, sometimes less. Um, and then once I've renumbered those raw files, uh, one to, you know, and the way I renumber is I put a sequence number, I add uh, the client's last name and the date, and then I keep the original camera file number. And then renumber it, and then export the JPEGs so that the JPEGs and the raw files uh, match. And then I've used Pictage for years uh, simply so I upload to Pictage. Uh, although I hear there's some big changes going on <laughs> over there, um, which Ooh, I haven't awesome. spent the time to sit there and read that whole entire email, but I need to do that. Um, but um, And Pictage, really, I only use it as a tool to let my clients order individual prints so that I don't have to do that. And then when we do albums, you know, I'll say create a folder and label it, you know, Dave and Joe's album or Susie and Joe's album, whatever. And... And then I can take the images from there and start to design a book. So that's kind of a real basic how I do it uh, workflow. Okay, awesome. So you do most of your like you don't do any of that at the reception. Then you're not doing the same day like slideshows or anything. You wait till you get home and right. I've done it. I've done it before, but most of the weddings that I do, I don't think my clients would want that. I mean, I guess I could ask, but yeah. And if I were to do that, I think, and this is no slight on anybody that does it. Like I'd want to do it in a grand fashion. Like I'd want a big screen and rear project, you know, and like have it be like impressive. And uh, I mean, I have done it in the past where I've done maybe what Brian said and I put some, you know, put, got them on my laptop slide shop, go and sit it on the bar and people really love it. They really react well to it. And, you know, you have an assistant there and hand out some cards and, you know, get some good referrals. It, it does work wonders. Um, but a lot of times I don't have the time at my jobs. You know, if my client requested it, I would do it. But Yeah, yeah, cool. Well, I know for us, a lot of our post-production actually starts in pre-production and before we even start shooting the wedding, and that's time syncing our cameras. Um, so we make sure that before, you know, before we start shooting that all of our cameras are time synced so that when it does come time to start sorting and calling and doing all of that, everything's nicely, already nicely organized. We don't have to worry about like time shifting cameras cause we've had it happen before where we, you know, we just get busy and we forget and then we get, you know, to the downloading and the calling and then it's like, ah, oh, you know, this camera was out. I mean, it's not hard to change. It's pretty quick to, to change the, right. the time on them if you need to, but it's that it's an extra step. So anytime you can eliminate any kind of an extra step in your workflow, it's going to save you time and, and just cut down on time. So I guess our workflow, it's, it's fairly similar to, to Robert in that as soon as kind of, as soon as we get home for the evening, I'll load up all the cards, you know, in the Lexar hub and get them, you know, get them copying. And we have, again, we have a fairly, I'm really anal about backups. I'm, I don't know if I'm just paranoid or, or what, but I'm just deathly afraid of ever losing a client image. So um, we have a fairly, it's probably more than we need, but um, basically it goes, you know, it gets into the Lexar hub. I copy those to a um, sort of a working drive, a working folder that we have for each job. But then I also use uh, an app on our computer called Chronosync. 
and it's set to automatically duplicate the, those folders onto our Drobo, which in itself is a redundant storage system because it has multiple drive bays in it. And then I'm also running an online um, backup solution um, that's going to a site called Crash Plan, and that's running sort of constantly in the background. So between those three, um, those three things happening, by the time we go to sleep at night, their files are in at least two places, and hopefully, depending on if you know if Crash Plan and the cloud backup is caught up. Um, usually by the time we wake up in the morning, um, the online backup has happened as well. So by the time we wake up in the morning, the client's files are <clears throat> safely protected in at least three locations. And then obviously we still have the cards. And I'm usually so paranoid that, that I usually pull the cards and have them at, on my nightstand. <laughs> so worst case scenario, if there was a fire broke out that night in our house, I could grab the cards and the dog and the wife and... Not in that order. But. I was say, in that order? Or? Not in that order, no. no. <laughs> oh, honey, I forgot the dog. Oh. I have the cards. I have the cards. <laughs> so, um, but that, so then, you know, that's, so I'm probably like the worst paranoid um, scenario, but I really think, I'd, again, I just couldn't imagine a situation of losing, losing clients' files. Yeah. And then obviously those cards, I don't touch those cards until I know that everything is backed up in multiple places. And then I take it one step further and we have an external drive that we also copy to and that goes back to the studio, but that happens sort of through the week. So it's not an immediate thing because we have to bring the, you know, bring the drive and take it there and stuff. So, but that's just another redundant off-site storage in case we ever need it. Um, because the cloud storage is, while it's great, um, you know, from a large wedding job, it could take quite a while to download that volume. So it's nice to have that local um, right. offsite storage as well. So I probably take it further than I need to in terms of the redundancy. I'm, I'm the same way though, Bruce. I, I don't want to mess around with that stuff. I've heard way too many stories of photographers end up losing files or corrupt cards or overwriting cards before they're offloaded. I, I feel like there's too many photographers that are too loose with that stuff. Yeah. And until you end up in that nightmare situation where you lose a card or you lose files or you have to deliver that news to a bride, believe me, guys, you do not want to be there. Like, you know... Uh, what, how's the saying go? An ounce of prevention is worth a something, 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 something like that. Yeah. Benjamin Franklin, right? Yeah, something like that, right? <laughs> I don't know the saying, but I know who said it. <laughs> so, yeah. um, so I'm with the backup thing. I can share what I do because I do it a little bit differently, Bruce. But if um, if those are who are listening are interested in another way of doing about it, um, I can share what I do. Um, I have um, in studio. It's an eight bay Thunderbolt uh, enclosure. It's made by a company called Areca, A-R-E-C-A. And if you go to MacSales.com and just search for Areca, you can find it there. It's a little bit pricey. Ooh, I've um, never heard of that one. But what it is, is it's actually made to be a RAID storage device, um, but I don't use it as that. I use it in what's called JBOD mode, which means just a bunch of disks. So it actually, whenever I put a hard drive in it, I in it, and then it mounts to my computer as eight different hard drives. Oh, so, okay. What I do is I use a program called Sync Pro, and that's Sync with a K. It's by a company called Decimus, um, and I always have the current year as a working hard drive, and then it has a backup um, in that Eureka drive um, that's automatically backed up whenever there's a change done. So as it's offloading images onto it, it's already backing it up as well. And then I have another backup drive that I leave off-site that I bring in once a week to offload those into a backup drive that's off-site. 
Awesome. So I use that, and I use, uh, like I said, the program called Sync Pro, so it's all automatic, which is really nice. Um, so that's sort of my backup strategy. And then for me, just because I didn't go into the actual workflow, if you guys don't mind, I'll quickly just share what I do in terms of editing and all that. Yeah. I use Photo Mechanic much like Robert does to offload the images. Um, so what is Photo Mechanic? Maybe for those who aren't familiar. Yeah, with, so it's by a company called Camera Bits. And basically, um, in a nutshell, Photo Mechanic is an image browser. So it's not a raw editing software. It's not for cropping. It's not for all that, although you can do some really basic things. It's more just to point it to a folder and say, browse the, the images here, show me thumbnails, show me one image at a time. And the nice thing, at least in, in my opinion, one of the biggest benefits is that when you point it at a raw file, it doesn't try and load the full raw file. So in Lightroom, I'm sure, I'm sure everyone's used to seeing when the raw file first comes up, it usually looks nice and contrasty and sharp and it's got saturation. And then after a second or two, depending on how quick your machine is, it like jumps back and it looks flat, it looks dull and all that. And that's because when Lightroom first opens up that raw file, it shows you the embedded preview, which has all your JPEG settings applied to it. But then once it loads the full raw file, it goes back to that duller, more neutral version of it. So that takes a little bit of time. So if you were to do all your culling in Lightroom, it would take a while because every single image you're waiting on that that step back. Whereas in Photo Mechanic, it just loads the preview and it doesn't ever try and load the full raw file. So you can go between raw files very, very quickly. And that's why I think a lot of photographers use it for culling because you can fire through uh, a bunch of raw files very, very quickly. Yeah, and you use it too, right, Robert? You use Photo yeah, Mechanic yeah. for your cull? I use it as well for the same exact reason. And then, then I just export them into a, like I said, um, you know, favorite raw folder. And then that folder gets pulled into Lightroom. Do you guys do a lot of keywording in that um, when you're doing that first kind of import or? No, I don't. I actually don't do any of that. Um, no. Try to just keep it clean, dirty, and then um, and to, to address my backup. Um, now, I download everything to external drives because mm -hmm. I travel a lot, so I take my work with me a, a lot. But I'll, I'll download that wedding to an external drive. I'll do the process that I talked about. And then I'll take generally right away that best raw folder. I'll make sure I get that on my server, which I have in the office. Um, and then as soon as the JPEGs are done, that goes on. Because really the only thing I want on my server are the best raw and the best JPEGs. Um, and then everything else, once that hard drive fills up, uh, you know, I just shelf it, and so and so now I do have a backup of actually everything that I took, you know, on that one hard drive. Like I mentioned, I put stuff on Pictage, so then it goes up there. Um, but I am starting to look into other like online cloud backup systems. Yeah. Cool. So Brian, you so you use Photo Mechanic, you're saying, yes. and that's your that's sort of your call. That's where yep. you ingest and do your sort of your flagging. Do you do it similar to Robert, where you just do your picks? Yep, I just do my picks. Um, and so yeah, I'm, I just use the tag system. I mean, in Photo Mechanic, much like in Lightroom, you can do tagging or flagging, is how Lightroom calls it. You can do star rating, you can do color coding, whatever makes sense for you. For me, um, I sit with my with my uh, index finger of my left hand on the T, which is to tag it and then my right finger on the right arrow. So I just start at the beginning like Robert does, and if it's an image that I'm gonna be keeping and delivering to the client, I press T. If not, I press the next button. So it's like a really quick process. And for me, if I have you know 1,500 images from a wedding, which is typical, 1,500 to 2,000 for me, I can usually get that culled because Photo Mechanic allows me to go quick and also because I'm fairly decisive and I shoot pretty tight. Um, I can usually get that culled in about half an hour for me. 
Um, and then from there, I just instead of copying them out, I actually then just go and sort the view to only show me the tagged images, and then I just drag those ones into Lightroom. Hmm. Okay. And for me, one of the biggest things, I mean, I'm usually, you know how I said I like, I like to do this on Monday morning. For me, the longest part of the entire process is the importing and actually generating the previews <laughs> in Lightroom. Um, I usually call in about half an hour, and then I usually am done in Lightroom in about half an hour. But I'll share a little tip that allows me to do that. Um, well, a couple of things. Number one, like Robert, I, tr I get it right in the camera. So I, I'm a very tight shooter, and I'm very intentional when I shoot about making sure exposure is right, white balance is right. I use Kelvin white balance when I shoot, so I actually get it right in the camera. Um, and I'm very you know specific about exposure and all that. So I have it right to begin with, but then I use um, develop presets in Lightroom. So any image that comes in from different cameras have different presets automatically applied to them. Um, there's all kinds of tutorials online on how to do that, so I'm not going to walk into the details of that, but it allows me to get the image starting on the right foot. So it gives it a bit of the saturation adjustment that I like, the curves adjustment that I like, the vignette adjustment that I like, all of those kinds of things so that it starts off looking really good. It almost starts off looking like the JPEGs that I shot in the camera in the first place. And so for me, I don't, like, my image style is very clean and simple and crisp, and so I really don't need to go in and do anything more to the images unless my exposure is a little bit off or my white balance is a little bit off. And so for me, that's why I said literally the longest part of the process is importing them. I let Lightroom attach that default setting to it, and then from there I just do like a quick look over in thumbnail view and see if anything needs to be adjusted for white balance or exposure, and if not, I move them around like Robert does, get all the detail shots together, get everything all together, rename them, and export. So I'm usually done my Monday morning routine by about 10.30. And at that point, I've now got finished JPEGs or proofed JPEGs ready. I copy them over to my USB key for the client and go from there. Right. One other tip I wanted to give too when we were talking about, you know, we're talking about the importance of backing up and media cards and, and that is... Um, and I've heard stories like this, although I'm sure it's rare, but it's very important, is when I finish a job um, at a venue, talking to, talking about that, um, the cards come out of the camera, They or even as I shoot a card throughout the day, the card comes out of the camera, I need to replace it. And that card stays on my person. Mm -hmm. You know, it goes in the card case, it stays on my person, and at the end of the day, you know, I might shoot three or four different Sony cameras, you know, while I'm shooting. Those cards all come out, and they go on my person specifically so that if I'm packed up and I'm walking out of a job and somebody tries to take my equipment, you know, hopefully you have insurance. That's not what we want, but you're like, all right, we'll take it because it's your life's not worth it, yeah. and your and your client's images are not in your camera, which is what you'd be freaking out probably even more about. Same thing when I travel. Uh, you know, I was just on location. Well, I've been on location for the last two months, but um, and you know, I have a here's a scenario. I have a rent a car. You know, I shot a I shot a wedding, and you know, where my cameras and my computer and all that stuff's in the trunk so that nobody can see it. I prefer to get cars with trunks so that at least it can be in there and locked. But the cards are always with me. You know, even no matter where I'm going, what I'm doing. Um, so, you know, it's easier than carrying a hard drive. They're already backed up to my external drive, like I said, but the cards are with me. Worst comes to worst, somebody stole a car or whatever, I still have the original media mm -hmm. on the cards. So I think that's super important, you know, guarding your media, leaving a job, you know, while traveling. Even if, you know, if you think about it, like, you know, you're doing a destination wedding, so, all right, we've got the media cards on you, and, 
and you put them on hard drives or whatever, but you still have all the media with you. So at least separate them, keep those cards on your person when you're flying, you know, any of that stuff. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I think I've seen, you know, I've seen at weddings sometimes where photographers, if, if they have two bodies and maybe they're at the reception, they put one down. Right. And they're just working one body. And I think, you know, you never really know hmm. who's around at a venue, right? Like you like to think that everybody that's there is honest and that, you yeah, know. I, years and years ago, same thing. I was shooting film, but I had a, I had a body taken with the, you know, the only thing I lost luckily was the grand entrance. But somebody, you know, it was film, and somebody took one of my bodies. I, it got stolen at a Ritz-Carlton. I mean, yeah. it doesn't matter where you are, you have to think about that. You yeah. know, especially if you're in bigger cities. I know for a while, years ago in L.A., there was like a ring of these two guys that mm-hmm. were going around stealing people's stuff. So, you know, you always want to think worst-case scenario and protect yourself from that because you can't have that, like, well, it'll never happen to me attitude because it could. Yeah, absolutely. I, there was a photographer here in the city that last year he was going to he was just going to kind of scout the location where he was going to do the first look with the bride and groom. So he left his gear in the car. He parked for literally five minutes. He was gone five minutes to go explore, figure out where he was going to set them up. And he came back. And in the five minutes that he was gone, somebody had smashed the window in his car and took all of his gear. Hmm. So think about this. His bride and groom was en route to do their first look. And all his gear was gone. Right. <clears throat> how, do, how do you do your job at that point? Like, yeah. right. So you have to be vigilant. And I know we kind of went down a little bit of a rabbit hole here. Um, <laughs> but you, you want to make sure that you, you know, you're protecting that, that you know, those images. But I think the time. idea is for us, you need to be scared. You need to think about yeah. it. Like, yep. Yeah. We can go down the rabbit hole, but you don't want to be the one in the rabbit hole. So no. right. think yeah. about Absolutely. that. And I know one of my picks, I don't know, a few shows ago were those tile um, things where you mm-hmm. do like GPS things, you know, yep. whatever it is that you use, if you can find some sort of like GPS system to stick in your bag, because uh, I've heard like when a lot of this was happening, sometimes when people do steal equipment at venues, it's inside, it's the staff and they grab it and then they stash it in the back room. Yeah. Sometimes it's not someone coming into the room and running off with it. So if you had some sort of GPS and you know that your bag's still in the building, chances are you're going to get it back. I saw a post, and I got to go back and look for it, but it's a Kickstarter project, and it was similar to the tile system, but I thought it was really cool, and it was actually to safeguard your gear while it's somewhere. So what you do is, and it can actually, you inventory everything that's supposed to be in your bag, and you put this device in, and as soon as an item that's supposed to be in the bag is no lo- it moves out of the vicinity of the bag, it can actually send an alarm to your cell phone. Like, it'll beep or ring or vibrate and let you know, like, hey, this you know, your 70 to 200 lens just got removed from the bag. Right. And you would know instantly. So it's this Kickstarter project. Now you can set it into like working mode so that if you are working and taking stuff in and out of your bag, it won't go off. But <laughs> if you're... Switch a lens. It, yeah, this is right. But I thought it was pretty cool. But also you can put it in a travel mode and same thing. So if your bag is being transported or whatever, it'll it'll alert you if something is removed or moved from the move from the bag so it's very it, cool this is something where you attach like a little i forget how it works but something sort of an embedded rfid thing that goes somehow into the piece of equipment hmm. and then it has a tracker that you put in the bag and the, it, then it knows right so you can hide the tracker somewhere in your bag and then this thing would alert you on your phone um, or maybe on your apple watch when it comes out uh you know and lets you know that that <laughs> piece of equipment has been moved or removed so i thought that's that was pretty interesting i think it was called like vigilante or something like that it was something i'd have to look for it but it was like a kickstarter project that i saw just recently so 
but yeah, backing up and safeguarding your images, I think, is is so critical and so important. Um, what's your advice for people that maybe aren't as like? Because it sounds like everybody here is fairly tech savvy when it comes to you know their computers and your backup systems. What's what's some advice that you can give to photographers that maybe aren't so tech savvy that don't know their way necessarily around computers? Because I have you know some a lot of friends that just they're not particularly computer literate and when you talk about RAID and redundant storage they're just their head explodes and they just don't know where to go. Brian do you have any? Well yeah I mean so for me like my solution is not very tech savvy like it's literally you get the bay like it's not RAID it's nothing you get the bay you buy hard drives you put it in you use the program it automatically does it all. My suggestion would be there is no shortcut for things like this just like you wouldn't go and try and shoot a wedding if you didn't know how your camera equipment worked figure this stuff out if you can't figure it out or you're not technical, hire someone to help you. Don't cut corners. Don't try and look for the easy way out because that's the sure way for uh, you know, failure in this, in this industry. Yeah. It's, it's, it'd be the same thing if someone was saying, well, I don't know how to build my own website, so what should I do? Should I get like a Wix account? It's like, no, go hire a web designer and build a good website. You know? yeah, right. And so the, I, my advice would be the same for this. It's like if you're not tech savvy and you don't get this whole hard drive backup, that whole thing, then, I mean, there's tons of resources out there that will help you with it. In fact, what I would recommend very specifically is um, a website called photographyconcentrate.com. Yep. They actually have a backup or die guide, which walks you through setting up all this stuff. Like, it's yeah. very visual. It shows diagrams. It's, like, amazing. Yeah, Rob and Lauren are friends of ours. Friends of yeah, so, they're, and yeah. they're incredible. They're great yeah. teachers, they're, and they have a great resource over at photographyconcentrate.com. So if you don't get it, if you're not technical, if you're not into the hard drive, RAID, techie things like we are, um, then either figure it out or hire someone that can help you do it or learn it uh, yourself. Yep. I think the best rule of thumb to learn is the 3 two, one rule. You want to have three copies, two, lo two different locations, and one of those locations needs to be off-site. And that's your best way to protect yourself. Like so, that. you know, that's a way that, you know, because if your house burns down or you, or you get broken into, um, hard drives will fail. That is just... That's just a rule. That's just yep. a law. Like a hard drive will fail. They're not going to last forever. When. It's not if, it's when. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They always will fail. So you don't want to have all your eggs in one basket because if that basket implodes, then you're going to lose everything. So you want to make sure that you've got multiple copies. It's got to be on multiple hard drives. And then you got to have a, a, you know, something that's off-site that's not in the same place. Mm -hmm. Because, again, if your house burns down or somebody breaks in and steals your computer, then you're, you know, you're kind of dead in the water. So you want to make sure you have that offsite backup. There's a lot of great online um, storage solutions. We've mentioned a couple here on the show. I noticed that um, Amazon just last week announced, if you're an Amazon Prime member. Yeah, I got that email. They have free, you get free unlimited online photo storage. If you're not an Amazon Prime, you can now get it for 12 bucks a year. Holy cow. Unlimited. And that's photos. If you want unlimited everything, videos, documents, photos, everything, it's 59 bucks a year. For Amazon, Un that's unlimited. Well, good money spent. So are they are they basically going after Dropbox and Google Drive? Is that the idea? Yep. Wow. Yep. So that's twelve cool. bucks a year for unlimited storage, and that's that could be raw files, JPEGs. You know, <laughs> they're gonna bite their tongue. They're gonna wish they didn't say unlimited when they, when a bunch of photographers hear about this. They're <laughs> throwing up like three terabytes a year. Yeah. Of. Well, I think they bank on the fact that most. I would say we're we're kind of extreme cases, right? Like yeah. photographers are extreme cases. That's what I mean. Yeah. It's sort of like the 500-pound man that goes to the buffet. Right. 
Like it's the, there's only going to be a few of those. Most of the people aren't going to use <laughs> everything that they can eat, right? So I think they bank on that, right? They're gonna they're gonna lose some money probably on photographers, but they're gonna make money off of those that you know just have a few a few yeah. photos you know to put up there. Like I use I use a service called Crash Plan, mm-hmm. and it's about sixty bucks a year, and it's again it's unlimited storage for sixty bucks a year. It's a no brainer to have it. The big problem with online storage usually though is just the the capacity and the bandwidth to get it uploaded onto the site. I mean we're talking terabytes of data here can take, you know, sometimes it can never the hamster wheel can't 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 turn fast enough to catch up. So that can be the issue with your offsite, you know, online. One other thing I'd like to throw in there too, uh, you know, we're talking about backing and saving on all that stuff and we want to save it for ourselves. But one of the things that I have in my contract is, you know, most people today, um, you know, this is obviously a whole other topic, but, you know, are giving clients discs, thumb drives, however you're delivering your images to your client. Um, I strongly suggest that once you deliver that, that you have this in your contract um, and or have them sign something separate, like a smaller contract, that once you deliver those images to your client, you are no longer responsible for archiving them. So that in five years they don't come back to you and go, oh, my hard drive failed, and you know, and then they are you know mad at you or want to try to sue you because you didn't store their images. Now I want to keep those images for my own reference, and I have them. And but to not go on about this, mine basically says that once I, it's in my contract, and I say you know once I deliver these files to you via thumb drive when the albums and everything are done. However, I am no longer responsible for storing these images. And if you come back and ask me, it's a minimum of a thousand dollars for archive and storage. And I've said this before on the show, but I think it's super important. Don't put yourself on the hook because your clients are negligent. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a Right really away, point. like make people sign something. If you deliver files to your clients and you're done with them, you know, you're finished with them and you hand over files or the second you hand over files to, you know, say I'll always keep but I am not I'm not liable, you know, like get the wording so that they there's no recourse they can come back and try to sue you years later because you don't have their images. You know, yeah. you don't have to feel obligated to spend thousands and thousands of dollars storing that stuff for years and years and years if you don't want to. Yeah, and that technology is going to change. So something we actually do is we we have a little document that goes along with it, that we and we talk to our clients about backing up an archive. Um, you know, I think Apple is great because they give us a little gift every couple of years of, oh, this format's no longer going to be supported, or we've now added this new USB. <laughs> so we use that as the perfect example when we talk to our clients and we say, look, yes, today it's a USB thumb drive. Five years ago, it was a DVD. Ten years ago, it was a floppy disk. Where are those technologies today? And imagine if your images were on a floppy disk. So we always tell them, like, yes, this is these are your negatives, but at the same time, you need to make sure that your moving them along as technology moves along. So, you know, well, I, I would even take that a step further though. I would say like I do the same thing and in fact one of my most successful promo pieces has been a floppy disk with a little blurb on it because yeah. I hand it at a bridal shows. Um, and, and I've actually done whole programs and whole, you know, teachings on that and I won't go into that, but that's a good way for you to talk about the importance of wedding albums. Because you say, listen, technology will go out of style, technology will fail, technology will evolve. Your wedding album today will be the exact same as it is 20 years from now, and you'll be able to enjoy it the exact same way. So that's a great 
right. means of conversation to talk about wedding albums. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So I think that's um, you know something that can be part of the conversation and part of the part of the delivery. I want to I want to switch up just a little bit. I want to talk about maybe some some fringe cases or some extreme cases and how you guys kind of handle them. Um, Robert, I want to talk to you a little bit. You so you recently shot a wedding, and this is maybe the maybe this doesn't happen all the time, but you recently shot a celebrity wedding, yeah, and like. Was it a day or two days afterwards? It was already like front front page <laughs> front page cover. What's the workflow look like in that where you have like an extreme extreme turnaround and who like how does that work exactly? Tell us All about. Right. So the wedding you're referring to is Jason Aldean's wedding. Now for those of you watching, there it is. Yay! There he is. Cover of Us Weekly. This is about my fourth Us Weekly cover. Congrats. Um. So the way that works is it's a very immediate um, delivery, as you might imagine. Um, I've been given a list from the magazine of what they want. Uh, it's typically all the same. Um, but the shots that they're looking for and um, so dealing with the magazine, they're all a little bit different, magazine publicist. Uh, so basically with Jason Aldean's wedding, um, I shot the wedding about midnight, I went back to my room, downloaded the images, um, you know, did all that. Um, I had to pick uh, roughly 60 or so images um, to show to the publicist, uh, showed them to the, you know, like pick those images, worked on those 60, delivered, let them choose, and then uh, they came back to me and said, all right, here's the, you know, 20 or so that we want to submit. Um, you know, do any more work that you want to on these 20 images. And I did that, and those had to be um, delivered by, I believe, 2 p.m. on Sunday. Mm -hmm. So the wedding was Saturday. Um, but I was up until 4 in the morning doing the first part of it and getting those, uh, you know, uploaded for viewing. And then I delivered the 20 by 2 p.m. or so the next day. Um, you know, I believe the way the magazine works is they have kind of the layout all figured out somehow, and then they lay it out. Yeah, I mean, because the magazine dropped drops on Wednesday. Like, if you really know, you know, where you can get it. Um, you know, I flew home on Monday and then flew out again on Thursday or Friday of last week, and. Uh, so I bought that copy of the magazine in the airport because they're usually one of the first places to get it. I know in Los Angeles there's certain newsstands. Like if you want it that Wednesday when it comes out, um, you know, you can be there. But that's kind of a – it's a very fast, very, you know, so I get a lot of – not a lot, but every once in a while I'll get an email and people ask me questions about celebrity weddings because they'll get, you know, someone in their town and they have questions. But um, if it comes down to something like that, you know, you also have to factor that in for your time. You know, A, you're flying, you know, I was in Cancun, but you're flying, you know, someplace. That's a day of your time there, a day of your time back, however many days you're going to work. And then, you know, sitting there spending the day dealing with the images as well. Yeah. Um, so it's just something to be considered, you know, when you're, when you're doing something and you're bidding something like that. Is that usually the... Like, is that the client, like in this case, would it be the bride and groom that are, or, or through their publicist, or is it the magazine that's that's asking for those images, or how does that? It's it's usually through their management and publicity, and, you know, that's who's, you know, the they were the ones dealing with the magazine. I didn't deal directly, although I have, you know, friends and contacts at Us Weekly, but um, 
those were the same people that they were dealing with. I just didn't have to to do it. Right. Yeah. Awesome. So that's a bit. Of, that's probably a little bit of an extreme, like a bit of a fringe case. I, I, I probably not the case for a lot of people, but I think it brings up an important issue in that you know maybe maybe we're not you know having to worry about getting it on the cover of a magazine the next you know the next morning or the next day. But I think there's a bit of pressure on uh, us as photographers to kind of get it out there before all their friends and family and relatives even get it out there, right? Like you want to capture that magic of the moment and you want to make sure that they're not waiting because if you let too much time go by and all their friends and family have posted up all their photos and things like that, it kind of A, makes us look bad. Like they wonder like what's taking so long? Why does a photographer need all this time? They don't maybe understand everything that's involved and what we do. But also I think you, you miss that opportunity to kind of capture the you know, the heart and minds of, you know, the friends and the family and everybody that was at the wedding. Right, and I've heard um, for select brides, I'll do that. You know, we'll talk about it. It's something else you can do. Just another tip, like, you know, you want to release to them maybe 10, 10 images that they can put out on social media right away. You know, you brand it, put your, you know, watermark on it, however you want to do it, make them low-res files and say, here, these are for Facebook or, you know, whatever. And that helps you get, you know, and you pick your favorite 10 or whatever that number is and you get them put out there and you put your best foot forward and you're right. And I've heard my couples say, you know, tell their bridesmaids, you know, don't post, you know, because I don't want, you know, a bunch of images out there. And what you said, you know, is everyone starts posting images from the wedding and the photographer takes, you know, let's say six weeks and then finally, you know, the bride gets their images and uh, they want to post some online. Like, nobody cares anymore. That wedding was six weeks ago. And yeah. they've seen a bunch of wedding pictures, so their attitude might be, oh, yeah, just Lisa's wedding again, you know. Yeah. You know or they've been to three other weddings in between. Nice photos. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Brian, how about you? How do you handle, does your workflow change at all? I'm going to guess because you do a lot of it at the at the reception already, does it change if you have, say, like a back-to-back -back wedding, like you have a wedding like right away the next day? Does anything change in your workflow? Or? Yeah, I, I typically won't book back-to-back -back weddings um, just for the reason that uh, I don't believe that the second couple gets the best of me when I do a back-to-back -back wedding, and so I don't believe that's the best service, and, and that's part of the exclusivity that I, that I you know, present to my couples is that when you book me, you know, I'm dedicating that weekend to you, basically, in the sense that I'm not taking any other wedding on any other day of that weekend. But in the case that I have done it in years past, um, I will, first of all, the whole backup thing is even more important. Second of all, I will not shoot on the same cards, so I will keep them separate and keep them separate from where the hard drive is. <laughs> um, but other than that, no, I mean, I've got... Um, the, the batteries that I use, because for me, the, the hardest part is getting batteries charged between double headers. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, so I use uh, PowerX uh, batteries, um, and they're 2,500 milliamp batteries, I believe. But um, with them, I use a eight battery charger, like double A's and triple A's, and I've got three of them here in my studio. No, so is I that the actually, Naha or whatever? Yeah, yeah. So, so, I mean, I can charge my batteries in 45 minutes to an hour, uh, between three of them, I usually do two cycles of them, and I'm good to go with all my batteries. So that's the biggest, or that's the the biggest stumbling block, or the hardest part. I also I have this routine that I have to clean all of my gear obsessively before every single wedding. I want all smudges, I want all dust gone, I want OCD. Yeah. yeah, I know. <laughs> but so, so in the case that I've done a double header, I bring my stuff back, I get it all like out of the bag, get it all clean, and then put it back in the bag, organized, make sure caps are on, all that kind of thing. So that would be the only way that I would change anything for a double header. But again, I do I do everything in my power to not book double headers because I don't believe that it's an effective use of my talent and skill. 
Brian, it's like you're my missing brother. I swear. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of the same way. I like to keep my stuff neat, organized. Because yeah. it just helps me. Like, I feel like if anything's in the wrong place in the bag, maybe it's a little ADD, I don't know. But if, yeah, if anything's in the wrong place in the bag, totally. I'm like, I feel, I yep. don't know, unbalanced something. But I it's mean, also, it's a way like... to know that I haven't left a lens mm -hmm. laying somewhere or whatever, right? So having systems to even how you pack your bag might yep. seem a little ridiculous, but it can actually save your butt. I am totally the same way. Yeah. So yeah, I think for us it's pretty much this, pretty much the same. Like, say it's the charging of the batteries. I mean, we have extra batteries and stuff like that. So if mm -hmm. you know, if it was a case where we have back-to-backs, then it's it's not too bad. I'm looking at my calendar this year. I only have one weekend, and it's a triple header weekend, oh. Oh. which two weddings are, are ours, and then I'm second shooting the third one. So it's uh yeah. So that's the I don't know. I I looked at it after. I was like, why did I do that to myself? I told myself last year I wouldn't do any of these. <laughs> Back in the day, I did four weddings in one weekend. No way. Ooh. Ooh. Back in the day. Yeah, those hurt. Those hurt a lot. But I find I, I get a lot of... I run on adrenaline, usually yeah. on those weekends, too. So I find it's usually not not too bad. Um, That's a lot so. of chicken. Yeah, yeah. A lot of... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, a lot no, of chicken in one weekend. Yeah, absolutely. So... Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, I think that's. I think we've kind of done pretty good justice to the mm -hmm. kind of the workflow topic. I mean, we can get into talking about like what's it look like if you outsource your editing, and maybe a little more on the actual like delivery of image to clients, or you know, I think that might be more another topic we could yeah. talk about on another another day. But I think that's pretty good for. I think that's pretty good. What do you guys think? You think we've kind of. I think that's great. Yeah. I think we delivered some valuable info. Excellent. Some good tips and good strategies. Again, we'll have links to everything that we talked about um, on the show today in the show notes for this episode. So be sure to head on over to thisweekinphoto.com slash weddings and everything will be on there. So before we kind of wrap things up, um, we want to just sort of see where where can everybody, you know, where can everybody find everybody? What's everybody up to? Brian, what have you got going on in the next little while? Is there anything, uh, anything wow. you want to plug? Yeah, I haven't actually talked about this on this podcast yet because I had to miss the last one and then we were in Vegas there. So um, we actually recently uh, introduced to the world what we've been building for the last year and a half at spurtingphotographer.com. We actually have a team of 11 um, de developers and designers and customer support representatives, all that. We've um, come out with the first all-in-one uh, business success software for photographers. So the idea was that we wanted to bring together all of the different functions that a photographer needs to use in order to run a successful business. So um, our software is called Sprout Studio, and what it does is does online galleries for photographers. It does album proofing. It does all your studio management and your billing and your invoicing and your questionnaires and your client management. It does sales, which is like a new version of online galleries. It has insights. It has a whole bunch in it. Basically, it marries all the things that we've been using already, but we've been using them in different functions and different pieces, and it's very disjointed, and there's no automation between them. So it, the whole point is to help organize a photographer's life and help keep them streamlined and help make their client experience more streamlined as well. So we announced that just a few weeks ago, and things are going amazingly well with it. Uh, we sold out our founding member program. We sold out our prepay program, and there's a ton of buzz in the industry about it today. Um, I mean, even being down at WPPI, the week after we announced it, it was like everyone was talking about it, so it was really exciting for us. So if anyone wants to find out more about that, uh, again, it's called Sprout Studio, and you can find out more information at getsproutstudio.com. Hey, awesome. Congratulations on that. That's, Thank uh, you. Good stuff, good stuff. 
And Mr. Evans, what have you got going on? Where can people find you other than on the cover of Us? Well, not you, but your work on the cover of Us Weekly. Where else? I, I was on the cover of Us Weekly. They wouldn't sell as many copies. <laughs> <laughs> um, what have I been up to? Well, since we did the last podcast, I've done three jobs, two weddings, and a bat mitzvah. I just shot a bat mitzvah for a client um, in L.A., whose wedding that I did, whose 10-year renewal of vows that I did, and both uh, pregnancy sessions for each of their kids. So that was kind of fun to do. Makes you feel a little... Full circle. Yeah, but really, really fun to do. Um, I'm getting on a plane tonight to go to New York to shoot something really quick for Sony, uh, some promo videos and stuff, uh, to actually be in them and not shoot them. But um, And then I go next week, go back to Cancun um, for a non-celebrity job, but are going about five or six days, going to take a couple days on the front side and a couple days on the back side to stare at palm trees and pina coladas and actually try to rest up a little bit because I've been going like mad. Um, so that's what I've got going in the next, and uh, you know, trying to stay atop of emails and workflow and things like that. Hey, good stuff. Well, I've uh, got a, I've got an interesting shoot. I've never been in a helicopter before, and so I'm going to. So a friend of mine runs a. She's the sales and marketing manager for a backcountry lodge in in Golden, British Columbia. And they want to start getting into weddings. They want to start doing like helicopter weddings there, um, but they don't have any good visuals. So we're actually going with one of our couples whose wedding we shot last year. We're bringing them up as our bride and groom. Um, right. She's bringing her wedding dress, and we're going to do kind of a styled shoot up at this uh, backcountry lodge where they do like backcountry like oh, awesome. and skiing and stuff. Yeah, so we're going to do some stuff with the helicopter company, and then we're going to do some stuff with the lodge. So that's pretty exciting. I've never been in a helicopter before, so this would be my first first helicopter yeah. ride. So Depends on how fun. nice they are, like how comfortable you feel in them. Yeah, so we'll see how that goes. So, so that should be pretty cool. So I'm, I'm doing that in the next little while. And then I've got, uh, I'm teaching some workshops. So I teach at a local um, school here just to do some stuff on off-camera flash and studio lighting. So I have that coming up at the end of the month. And then once that's kind of done, then it's kind of we're into wedding season hopefully the weather will have warmed up by then and uh, you know the grass will be green and the trees will be green and We'll be into wedding season, and then it pretty much goes until, you know, the fall. So just sort of enjoying the last couple of weeks or so of a little bit of downtime and working on a few projects before then. So, good. Yeah, so it's good. So before we kind of wrap it up, where can everybody find you online? Brian, where can they find you? Um, I'm on Twitter at BCAP Photo. Uh, you can find my education over at spurtingphotographer.com. Like I mentioned, the software is getspurtstudio.com, and that's pretty much it. Awesome. Mr. Evans, where can we find you online? Uh, Twitter, Instagram is at Robert Evans. Um, Facebook is Robert Evans Studios. I also have my Sony Instagram for my Sony shooters, Sony Selfie, at Sony Selfie. So take a picture, tell me about your favorite Sony camera, and we'll put it up there. Uh, you can hashtag it, or you can just tag it on Instagram, and I'll add it. Um, I guess that's it. What else? There's no other new social media that I'm not a member of yet. Are you on Periscope? Is anybody on Join Periscope? I actually just downloaded that yesterday. Yeah, cool. Yeah. So it's it's interesting. I can't tell whether I like it or not. I watched a few videos. For those of you who don't know what Periscope is, it's basically like Twitter, but for live video feeds, people can just broadcast at any time, and you can see what they're doing. I was watching some girl at some fashion show, and um, sounds kind of creepy. 
That's, you yeah, stream. It, it is interesting. I, I can't see that going the way of more of an adult industry, but right, <laughs> like you know, most things. Yeah. Like, but uh, yeah, it was interesting. And you should stream one of your next weddings. I know. Like, I don't know who wants to watch it that long, but. Um, you know, for like bits and pieces of it, it might be interesting. Yeah, it might be kind of cool. So. Yeah, I, I just literally downloaded it yesterday, watched a little bit of video, so I have I have not made a decision yet on if I like it or don't like it. Yeah, yeah, very cool. Good stuff. Well, if you're looking for me, um, you can find me over at momentsindigital.com. That's our website. Um, and on all the social media, it's at Bruce Clark, Clark with an E. As always, we will have links uh, to all these things in the show notes for this episode. And that uh, brings us to the end of another episode. Parting is such sweet sorrow. But we want to thank everybody again for listening to TWIP Weddings, Raising the Bar, One Wedding at a Time. <laughs>